Welcome, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the uh, late morning, early afternoon so far. And I've heard that you saw uh, Jess get a pie to the face. Is that true? You didn't see that? Oh, okay. We might have to find time at the end for that one. But anyway, I have a question for you. What do you want for Christmas? Many of you will know that I work with the young people here, and I ask them this same question. Here are some of the responses that I had. Should be on the next slide. There we go. Thank you. Now, I'll go through some of these for you. We have toys on there. We have a scooter and a skateboard. Very fun. Remember to wear a helmet. We also, you may have noticed there is a puppy on there as well. So very cute, right? Congratulations to the family that may or may not be getting a puppy. I'm not sure, but sounds great. There's also a gold bar on there. Now, I don't know if the kid is getting that, but, you know, very clever kid asking for that one. There's also a lifetime supply of Nutella on there. Very good. And you may have noticed that there's a cup of coffee. Now, the young person that asked for this, it wasn't for them. It was for their mum, who loves coffee. Aww. I mean, yeah, do keep in mind, though, the older sibling in youth did mention to me that their mum can be a little bit grumpy without it. So just <laughs> keep that in mind. But after hearing these responses, I changed the question. And I asked, if you can have anything, what do you want for Christmas? This time, the answers were very different. I had responses such as world peace and no more fighting and killing. One response was that everyone who felt sad could feel happy. Anybody who feels alone, for them to have family and friends close by. Another was that everybody would have a home and have the things they needed. The young people, they quickly understood from these two questions that the things that we think we want and ask for are not always the same as the things we truly want. The things we truly want, they're not confined to what we believe to be obtainable. In many ways, they reach outside of what we think is possible through our own strength. So I ask you the same question. What do you truly want for Christmas? And has it changed from what you were thinking of earlier? The things the young people asked for initially, they can be purchased, they can be wrapped up, under a tree given as a gift. But when we think about the things we truly want, we can't just buy these, wrap them, and hand them to somebody. That is not something we can do with things like joy, peace, hope, love. We can't. However, that is exactly what God did over 2,000 years ago. He took all the things that we truly want and desire, and he put them inside of a baby king born in a manger. Isaiah 9, 6 reads, it should come, brilliant, thank you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This passage, it sets the stage for the most astounding event in history. God taking on humanity and coming to us to turn our darkness into light, our despair into hope, our sorrow into joy, and our conflict into peace. And this message of a coming joy, peace, and hope, it was given to shepherds the night Jesus was born. In Luke 2, 
an angel appears to the shepherds who are watching over their flock. Initially, they were filled with terror, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, there was nothing particularly special about these shepherds. Shepherds in that context likely demonstrate how God chose to give a message of great joy to the lowly and humble, to the everyday person, to us. And we can all experience God's joy. God's joy isn't just for the select few that have everything together in their lives. And joy, joy itself, it is vital to living a full life. We all need happiness and joy to function, to live well. Aristotle, a 4th century BC philosopher, he once said, happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence. Daisuke Akida, a 20th century philosopher, he says, ultimately, all human activities have as their goal the realization of happiness. Augustine, a 4th to 5th century philosopher and theologian, he stated, every person, whatsoever their condition, desires to be happy. There is no person who does not desire this, and each one desire it with such earnestness that they prefer it to all other things, whoever, in fact, desires them for this end alone. These three philosophers from three different parts of the world, three completely different centuries, all remark with varying degrees on the importance of joy and happiness in our lives. It's what we were created to experience. It's one of the main reasons why we do the things that we do. And when we think about the things that we do, we will realize that we devote a considerable amount of time to pursuing it. We chase it, but where do we find it? Is it in a job or a career that will satisfy and fulfill us? Is it in a partner with whom we can share the rest of our lives? Is it in success, money, status? in the latest gadget or the newest toy. If we get these things, will we be happy? If we never obtain them or if we lose them, what becomes of our happiness then? The Bible describes a joy that is different to the brief circumstantial moments of happiness. A joy that doesn't ebb and flow with life situations. This biblical joy, it is different to happiness. It is deeper than happiness. Happiness, the word itself, it's rooted in the Latin word, hap, which means chance or luck. Therefore, happiness is a triggered response, often spontaneous when things are going well in our lives or going our way. There is an element of luck and chance about it. Joy, though, that is different because joy is more consistent. Happiness is often a good mood. Joy is like an anchor that steadies us, no matter our mood. Happiness tends to be based on people, places, events, thoughts, things that come and go. Joy, that's found in a good God, in the security of who he is and not what is going on around us. Joy is so much more than a sentimental feeling. True joy is transformational. But even with that said, for you personally, joy this year, this Christmas, it may be in short supply. The cost of living, the expectations as a parent, trying to get your kids the things that you never had, perhaps the loss of a loved one, pressures at work, pressures at school with exams, making friends, 
difficulties in physical and mental health. All these things, they impact us, which is why we need a godly biblical joy that can endure. This kind of joy, it's not immune to suffering and heartbreak. It doesn't try to keep these things out. Joy doesn't ignore painful circumstances or smile and laugh at tragedy. Rather than repelling these things, joy embraces them. Joy allows us to feel sorrow in an honest way and to still sing God's praises. Joy gives us the strength and the steadfastness to not grow weary during the trials. This is the type of joy that Jesus offers us in knowing him. Jesus, in John 15, 11, he says to his disciples, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus, he is concerned with our joy. He came to bring us joy. He endured the cross for our joy. And joy, it's not found in material possessions, in our circumstances. It is found in him. And our longing for joy, just as those philosophers and many more indicated, is ultimately a longing for Jesus in our life. The shepherds who were given a message of joy from the angel, they were also given a message of the coming peace that this newborn king would bring. In Luke 2, a host of angels, they appear alongside the first and they proclaim, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The word often translated as host, that's a military term. However, this heavenly army of angels, they do not come to bring war, but to announce peace. The angels are declaring that this newborn king brings peace to all those, and this peace, it is different to an earthly peace. You might recognize the uh, picture behind me. Now, this picture was taken on Christmas Day 1914 during the First World War. And the First World War that lasted roughly over four years, estimations suggest that anywhere between 15 to 20 million lives were lost. One soldier on Christmas who was in the trenches on the Western Front, he remarked how he could hear a murmur of noises coming from across the field. This murmur of noises, it was German soldiers singing carols. The British soldiers, they began to sing back. Neither side trusting the other, they chose to meet in a place called No Man's Land that separated the two armies. Communication between the two was normally through gunfire. However, this time, they greeted each other with words. The hate between the two had momentarily disappeared, and there was a peace amidst a war that was engulfing much of the world. There is an account of a British soldier setting up a makeshift barbers to cut hair for those on both sides. German soldiers using candles to light Christmas trees. One account mentions how the English soldiers, they brought a football out from their trenches and a match ensued amongst those who a day earlier were trying to kill each other. Peace had broken out in unexpected circumstances that Christmas. However, this peace, it only lasted a day. On the 26th of December, the fighting commenced. This example, though, it gives us a small window into God's peace because God's peace, it transcends our understanding. We experience God's peace when we least expect to and in circumstances that would appear to make it impossible. And the word which describes a godly peace is this Hebrew word, shalom. 
And we find this word in the Bible, and it has a deep and multifaceted meaning, which brings forth ideas of restoration, justice, harmony, well-being. It is not simply focused on removing conflict. It is about adding something completely new. So godly peace, the shalom that Jesus came to bring, it is more than the absence of conflict. Shalom is about justice, integrity, righteousness, wholeness. It is about harmonious and balanced relationships, mirroring the peace we have with God. Simply removing conflict does not create this. And Jesus, as the angels described, is the one who will bring about this new state of peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus offers is more than just tranquility. It is a peace that cannot be shaken by strife, turmoil, even suffering. Nothing in this world can offer such a gift. And the peace he has, the peace he came to bring, it can only be found in him. The last gift that the angels mention in their message to the shepherds is hope. And hope, that's such an underappreciated word, a misapprehended word, a word that is commonly spoken, but most commonly misunderstood or mistaken for other emotions. We say things like, I hope you are well, or I hope the weather is good at the weekend. But true hope, that is more than just wishful thinking or positivity. Desmond Tutu, he once said, I have never been an optimist. I am a prisoner of hope. And hope, it can often be confused with optimism. However, the two, they are very different. Optimism, that's a spin on the truth. It hides the truth. Truth, however, that rests firmly on the foundation of truth because without truth, hope is impossible. With optimism, it is always bright and sunny. Genuine hope, though, that is always formed in the darkness. Hope calls us to endure challenging times and points us to a fuller future. Hope sustains us. Hope calls us into action. But despite all of this, it has been suggested that this current generation is the first generation to have less hope than the previous. This generation has been described as the loneliest, a generation that struggles with high rates of depression and other mental health issues. And the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies has warned that this generation, they are at risk of becoming the lost generation. We need a radical hope. And this is the message of the angel to the shepherds. In Luke 2.11, the angel says, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is a message of hope. Many years before Jesus was born, several prophets of God, they predicted that hope would come into the world through the coming of a Messiah. And this term Messiah, it refers to God's anointed one a divinely appointed king, a rescuer, a redeemer who will usher in a glorious kingdom, God's kingdom. And the kingdom of God, that was a theme and a phrase that Jesus spoke most often about. I think it was his favorite topic. Nearly every one of his parables was based on the kingdom of God. And the idea of the kingdom of God is that it's a world reordered around the love of God. It is a place where God will dwell with his people 
It is the end of sorrow and suffering where there will be no more illness, loss, or death. Where nobody is left on the fringes, where everybody has a place. There will be no more evil, and every wrong will be made right. And at the center of this kingdom, there is a throne. It is in the shape of a cross. It represents not the majesty and honor that is eternally bestowed upon the king of kings, but it represents self-giving love and sacrifice. Jesus, he embodies this kingdom. Jesus came into the world and gave his life so that we could have ours, so that we could have a place in his kingdom. And this is a hope, not just for now, but one that stretches to eternity. So as we come in for a close, I ask again the same question that I posed at the beginning. What do you want for Christmas? The food, the presents, time with family, even the board games that we play, those things are wonderful. Those things are great. They should be appreciated and enjoyed. But keep in mind, these things, they will not ultimately satisfy. C.S. Lewis, he said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. God made us for something different. And far too often, we are asking for the wrong thing. Jim Carrey, the comedian and actor, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. The things that we truly want are not found wrapped under a tree. They are wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And Jesus was given as a gift to all. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus, he invites us to him. It doesn't matter if you have everything together in your life or absolutely nothing. Jesus calls us to know him, where we will find rest from the labors of life, where we will find our true joy, peace, and hope. So I'd love to just pray for us now as we come towards an end. If you'd stand with me, that'd be great. You guys have been sitting for so long. Thank you for being so patient and listening. And if you feel comfortable, uh, why don't you put your hands out just as a way of receiving. My experience of walking with God is that he is a good God who is willing and sometimes it's up to us to accept. So I'm just going to pray for us now. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift that is your son, Jesus. Even though we've only spoken about joy, peace and hope this morning, the gifts found in Jesus are truly endless. We pray that you meet our needs this Christmas, not just material needs, but the needs of our heart, the needs of our soul, which only you, Jesus, can provide for. We pray for much joy this Christmas, peace in any difficult circumstances we may be facing. And we thank you for the hope that first came into the world 2,000 years ago through a baby king born in a manger. Amen.